Welcome to episode 27 of Define Normal. Today I am joined by my first ever college roommate, my freshman year roommate, Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. There's a lot to get into today. Let's do a little intro. I would love to hear more about you, where are you living right now, and just what's going on in your life. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. You know, I lived here pretty much my whole life. I've pretty much lived in Ohio this whole time. Um, We met at college, yes. I went to Kent State. I studied fashion design. I'm working as a creative in Columbus, Ohio. The topic of the episode today is basically about you and how you grew up and your story being someone who is biracial. So like, let's get into your background a bit. Like you told us that you were born and raised in Ohio, Columbus specifically, but like tell us a little more about your family. And from there, I want to hear just your experience growing up in general. My dad is from Cameroon. He moved to, um, he went to Ohio State. Actually, he moved here in 1986 for school. And he happened to meet my mother, who is from a small conservative town in Northeast Ohio. And they met while, at o- while he was at Ohio State, and she was hanging around campus, actually seven years older than him. So what she was doing on campus, don't really know. They met at a party, and then he actually went back to Cameroon because his studies were up. And then he lived in Cameroon and in Israel for a bit. And then he got a job in D.C., and my parents reconnected and, you know, stayed in touch. And, you know, eventually they had my brother, and then they had me. And we lived in Hilliard, Ohio, which is a suburb. And then, um, but I spent my, most of my time in Upper Arlington, which is a small, affluent, white suburb. When I think about my childhood and the way I grew up, you know, I generally have just, like, the most fond memories, like, you know, fenced in yard, I had a dog, like I had friends, my parents had tons of friends. I was close to my mom's family, which was in Northeast Ohio. So, you know, holidays were there. Um, You know, I just didn't really spend very much time with people that weren't white growing up. Like um, my dad's family, there was a, his brother did live in the States, but he lived near DC. So we would see them every summer for a while. And then with sports and school, we just kind of stopped going uh, after middle school. And, you know, cause summers got so busy with all the activities that we did. And I spent, you know, most of my time with my mom's white family. And I lived in a white affluent neighborhood and I almost never saw other black people or interacted with them. That's a perfect intro. I have to tell the audience a story, which is outing you a bit, but it is what it is. I, I promise that I won't share all the embarrassing anecdotes, and I have some of my own. But when Michelle and I were roommates in college, I remember she got the assignment because we were random roommates. Like we were, we did not pick each other in like the class of 2015 group. We were assigned and like looked each other up on the internet. And she <laughs> admitted to me, she was like, you know, I was kind of nervous that you were my roommate, like you as a black woman being my roommate, and. I, you know, similar to Michelle, grew up in like a pretty white environment. So like, to be honest, I didn't have a wealth of black friends, either like, you know, male or female. So it's funny because she said that comment to me, but like it kind of rolled because I was like, yeah, like, I mean, same. Like I wasn't afraid, but like I personally don't have until adulthood. I didn't have like a wealth of black friends or especially like black women friends. We started our, (laughs) our roommate journey being like incredibly honest with each other (laughs) in that way but I also think made me want to have the conversation as I saw Michelle this past weekend and we were just talking about you know how she feels now how she's like kind of coming into her own and I felt even having a different upbringing just being black in a mostly white environment has this way of like when you get out of the environment you find yourself kind of reflecting like oh was that normal that me as a black person spent all those time with white people and I have no like people outside of that sphere. Right, right. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. You said you grew up in UA, which is small, Upper Arlington, which is small and affluent. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a juxtaposition you you notice with that. Like you shared that you had a great childhood. You spent time with your family, like white picket fence, good neighborhood. But it's also like, okay, but there's a whole part of my identity that wasn't addressed. Right. So 
in your house, I mean, obviously just because of proximity, you spent more time with your mom's family, but like, what did you know about your dad's family? What did you know about your dad's culture? Was there ever talks of going to Cameroon to visit? When I was younger, I knew that he had a ton of siblings. There's 11 children in his family and he's the oldest. So I knew that he had tons of siblings in turn, which means that I have also tons of aunts and uncles and cousins. But no, not not much. He speaks French. So I always thought, you know, I would learn French or whatever because Cameroon was colonized by the French. So he speaks French and English and probably a couple other like village dialects a little bit here and there. But no, not really much. Like I don't, he's, you know, he's a very quiet person. That's the other thing is like he is an immigrant. <laughs> like in the Western world and the African Eastern culture, it's just very different. So, you know, growing up, like my father just doesn't talk very much. So, you know, as a kid, you don't really ask those many questions about your parents like you're their world and that's kind of it so mothers are kind of obviously like the heavy hitter when it comes to like uprearing and like they're kind of traditionally you know gender norms and all that the one kind of forming your world so you know I knew the basic stuff kind of just like a lot of siblings but we never really talked about Like, I truly thought he, like, grew up in a stick hut, and he didn't, but, like... That's how little you knew about it. Yeah, that's how clueless I kind of was, and, you know, he, as we got older and had more conversations, you know, and he would say, like, no, I grew up Yaoundé, which is the city that he lived in, is a city. His dad was a professor. He wrote textbooks, very smart, like... My dad played soccer for a very long time. That was also huge. That was, like, the biggest thing was soccer. Soccer is was my world growing up. And he played a lot. He was a captain. He was actually like almost like, I guess, going to play professionally, but he was so young, his dad needed to sign a permission slip and that didn't happen. So he chose to focus on his studies. And at that time in the 80s, early 80s, before Cameron went to the FIFA World Cup, it was never a thought process that soccer could be kind of a career. It was kind of just like something that you did until later in the 80s. Then it became like, oh, this is a true thing and whatever. But like my uncles played professionally in Hong Kong. They played soccer in Hong Kong. So soccer is a big, big, big part of my childhood and growing up and, you know, my relationship with my dad. But yeah, I didn't really know too many details. I met only my grandmother, his mother once. She came to the States when I was in, I think, fifth grade. She didn't speak English. She wasn't that American grandma. She was an African grandma, very quiet, just kind of sat there, you know. I mean, to be honest, I was like afraid of her because the grandma that I had grown up with was kissing and hugging and giving me pancakes. And and so this woman was just like there and it was kind of interesting to have met her, but that was kind of it. It's interesting. Do you, as you're older, do you desire to know more and kind of wish you had more time with them? And does your dad reflect on it? Because it must be hard for him too. Obviously you and your brother and your mom were his world, but it's like there was a whole world that he took a departure from. So does that ever show up for him? Or like, do you ever, like for the holidays, like does he seem kind of sad that it was just one side of the family? Not outwardly, no. He definitely went back a handful of times throughout my childhood over the summers because that was the other thing when I was really, really young. My dad stayed home with me until I went to school and my mom worked. She was a teacher. So she had summers off. So he would go in the summer for a couple weeks and be gone. It was, you know, good timing for them. But yeah, he would go home. And when we were younger, we wanted to go, but it was always explained to us like, well, it's expensive, first of all. <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> it's a very expensive, long flight. By the time we kind of started talking about like actually going, it was very hard when we were older because my brother was so involved with football. And that was, you know, two a days and all summer and all these things and different things that, you know, I was a lifeguard, like just things that were taking up time and money. And so, you know, it was also explained to us, like, you're going to have to be there for a long time. Are you sure you want to go? Like, no one's going to speak English to you. You're not going to have fun. So, you know, we were kind of like, okay. You got talked out of it. Who explained that to you? Was your dad explaining that to you? 
kind of, but it was mostly like my mom kind of saying those things. And, you know, we would see his side of the family over the summers and we would do a beach house. It was actually pretty unique. My mom's extended family lived in the Maryland area and so did my dad's family. And my mom's family would get a beach house pretty much every summer growing up in Delaware. And my dad's family would actually come. Oh, that's really and cool. And we would like be together. Um, and they would come either for like the day or like rent their own house for like a little bit. Really cool that they, you know, would also come. So I kind of had both parts of my family without even kind of realizing it. And I would call, there were two Lindas. So there was like an older Linda and a younger Linda. And I called them Big Linda and Little Linda And uh, when I was growing up. And one was on my mom's side and one was on my dad's side. So that was pretty unique and, and interesting to see those worlds collide. We talked about going and I definitely really want to go to Cameroon now. Like now that I've been traveling on my own, I've been to Europe a couple times, like my next big trip, like I want to go to Cameroon and I want to go with my dad and brother. That's something, and my mom too, if she wants to go, but she, she never wants to leave the pool. I definitely really want to go, but it was never something that we were close to doing when I was growing up. It was something very far away and kind of obviously foreign. So mostly your opportunities to see them were those beach house moments or like before summer got busy, you know, I know how that is. Once you get older, it's like, right. even if summer's not busy, it's like, I stopped going on family trips. My mom just said that <laughs> recently. She's like, I remember like when you were like, yeah, I'm not going on that trip because <laughs> you have your own life. So I get that too, where it's like, mm, kind of being talked out of it is expensive. Spend time with your friends. <laughs> like, exactly. Selfishly. Okay. Yeah. So I want to go back to identity. So I kind of started it off by saying that you have, like, you're biracial, which is true. But Mm -hmm. how do you identify yourself? Do you identify as a black woman? Do you identify as biracial? Like, talk me through kind of the identity journey. And, like, I mean, I think it's okay to change those. Like, what have you, what did you start identifying as and what do you identify as today? I definitely, I used to identify as biracial or mixed Or I just kind of didn't want to be addressed at all. Like, I didn't know. I was like, I'm just me, is what I kind of used to say all the time. It's like, I'm just me. But, you know, my identity, I was told I'm racially ambiguous. That was a phrase that I heard all the time from my mother, from other people, but mostly my mother. And my brother and I were child models. We did different We did a couple of catalogs. We were in textbooks, just different little things like local stuff. And I think that that's probably where she heard the phrase, oh, they could be, they could be anything. They could be anything. Hearing that phrase, you know, I think that that's just a way to distance me from my blackness is to say, you could be anything. No one knows what you are. You could be X, Y, and Z. I used to really hold on to that. And it's really embarrassing and quite disgusting to think about. I really thought that when people saw me, they, I, don't, I don't know what they thought because I was told so much, you're racially ambiguous. I obviously knew I was half black, but it wasn't really something, I guess, honestly, that I was like very proud of. And I also kind of tied into that, my, the fact that my dad was from Africa. I kind of thought, again, disgustingly, that made me better than black Americans Black Americans, like, and it's horrible, but I think it was like this rationale that I was like, no, no, like, your dad's from Africa. Like, he's all the things that I grew up not thinking that Black people, unfortunately, as a whole were, you know, he's went to college, he, he, he was a professor, like, all of these things, which is so awful, but it's the truth. And I think that growing up around so many white people and just not diverse in any way, in any kind of, everyone was thin, blonde, and rich. That's how I grew up and I was none of those things. I kind of intertwined all these different things that made me me and that's why I was always like, I'm just me, like whatever. But the other thing about being biracial is genetics are crazy. Like some people look super, super light And some people are still going to be, you know, there's people who have two black parents that are lighter than me. I love the line in Dear White People when um, one of the characters is talking to a biracial girl and she goes, 
She says, you're not Rashida Jones biracial. You're Tracy Ellis Ross biracial. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it just, that joke kind of hit me. It's like, duh, like you're black, honey. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, so now I definitely am embracing my blackness and really craving that that experience and that kind of life. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. I think first, I, you have to give yourself a little grace because as a person with two black parents, growing up in a white environment makes you want to distance yourself from blackness. So every card that I had to pull as a, as a very <laughs> clearly black woman, I was also pulling like, right. Because what makes you feel comfortable, not even what makes you feel comfortable. Cause I can't say it was comfortable. What makes you feel accepted is your proximity to whiteness. So your mind will immediately pull anything that puts you closer, right? right. Like my hair isn't as like kinky as those people or like my, like you said, my dad went to college. My dad speaks French. Like, I mean, I can think right now of things I did to distance myself of like, right. oh, and am I not, you know, I think what's hard is like, we're saying it out loud on this podcast and that feels, that's what feels gross. But like black people do it too. Like, yeah. I mean, you are black, but like black people without <laughs> white, black people without a white parent do this too, where it's like, I did this all the time in my head. Like, oh, well, I'm superior because both my parents went to college and both my parents have master's degrees and my grandparents went to college and like right. people in my family are successful. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, so I thought better than someone who, and maybe I didn't, maybe I wouldn't even say better, but I just, I had more of a ticket in, like I got to be closer to these groups because I have the access and like, right. It took me some time as I got older to be like, that is kind of a gross way of thinking. When you're in an environment that's so white, you have no other thought but that thought. I'm just trying to be in. I'm not, I don't really think as a black person, I'm better. I really, as Shelby Jones, don't think I'm better. But to be closer to them, to like fit into that, you're drawing at anything that makes you right. like, even though right. to your point, like you're clearly, one of these things is clearly not like the other. Right, <laughs> like, right. But I'm, I'll try anything to make myself fit in, even though I obviously don't. Because I think also a big part of that for me of whenever I would say that I was black, which didn't happen quite honestly often, but people would say like, oh, you don't sound black or you don't act black. And I would, or when I would want to pull my black card, right? When I would want to pull my black card or say something, it was always, but you're half white. I would hear that. My mom would say, you're half white. And I think that she truly thought that people saw me, I don't know, a different way. She admitted, you know, I was raised in a colorblind household. We don't see color, which we all know now is detrimental <laughs> and not great. I think that that's a big part of my identity is that like, oh, you're half white. Like, I guess I thought that everyone knew I was half white because I came from this small suburban town where everyone knew that. And it's like, if you saw me, you know. And it was such a small town that that was something that I probably clung on to. But I guess what I'm trying to say is my mom admitted that she didn't realize she was raising non-white kids, and which is a huge thing. It was the early 90s. She's generally progressive in all of her other stances. So she thought truly in her heart of hearts, like, I love my kids and love is enough. Love is truly enough. I love them so much and nothing else matters, which, you know, is a very romantic idea, but that's just not quite, we don't live in a post-racial world. A lot of parents think that, like not just biracial parents, but when it, when it comes to like your black experience, even as someone who is like, who has two black parents, I have feedback too for, for like how it went. I, I wouldn't say we are raised colorblind because that's definitely not true. But I will say that like there wasn't this attention because I think the common denominator here are like very white spaces. I don't think there was acknowledgement to like how your black kids being in really white spaces can be to their detriment. Like psychologically. Correct. Like you not seeing people who look like you and have similar experiences as you are dangerous. And I think 
when I talked to my mom about it, I mean, I know, and just like your mom did, like it wasn't on purpose. It was just like, right. it's, it's usually, and this is a systemic issue. Usually the best schools are predominantly white. They're in affluent neighborhoods with mostly white people. Like my parents' rationale was my dad got a job in Dayton. My parents were like, let's buy a house, the best house we can afford in, with the best school district. And so that's where I landed in my pretty white, I would not say as white as Upper Arlington, but like <laughs> pretty predominantly white high school. And right. there were, that was it. It was like, Shelby and Cindy are going to get a good education. We love them. Like send tweet. Like I don't, there's nothing else. <laughs> there's nothing else to worry about. But we all have this, like, do you guys realize how white it was and how white I'm not? Right. <laughs> like, and, like, you know, I think we both really dipped our toes, maybe more than our toes in white culture. <laughs> but we're still not white. Like, I'm simply still not white. Like, Respectfully, not white. <laughs> like, not walking through, yeah, not walking through the world that way. <laughs> No, not at all. So that's interesting. So your identity now is like mostly like, no, your identity is a black woman. Yeah. Obviously, like I acknowledge like my whiteness and that comes back to like kind of like colorism and um, all of that. But I'm black. No any other way to put it. Was it hard after having the mindset of basically that like you're a little bit separate from the the black experience and both by like growing up and just your experiences as you're older now, like, and you said you kind of you want to go to Cameroon with your dad and your brother, what are other things that you feel like you want to experience that you didn't get to experience, that you missed out on? That list is endless, really. I'm literally watching on Netflix any kind of early 2000s black movie, anything that I can get my hands on, really. And it's almost, I almost sometimes feel like I'm trying too hard. <laughs> like, Like, I'm like trying to just like, ingest all this black excellence as far as movies tv just artistry designers like everything and i'm almost like kind of like imposter syndrome like should i be here still like you know but it's like no it's like i'm i'm here and i should be here and but yeah it's great the scope of like media and like the internet and being able to like really get that but it's also a weird juxtaposition because through COVID, I spent a ton of time alone. I lived alone for most of the year. I lost my job, my great job that I worked so hard for, kind of derailed my life a little bit. So I had a lot of time to like think, and that was honestly my big wake up call. Like, you know, and it sounds so cliche, but like, just like how, you know, other white people kind of woke up a little bit and kind of realized how messed up everything was, I did too. And it made me really reevaluate everything. And, you know, I went down to the protests and in Columbus and I watched, I watched Joyce Beatty get pepper sprayed. I got, I got pepper sprayed and it, it was just kind of wild, but you know, I'm learning and reading and unlearning things. And it's, it's been really helpful. This time was really important. And, you know, I'm so glad that it happened in a way, like, obviously like, <laughs> lost my job, like, you know, that wasn't great, whatever. But I had time to really grow and start to truly love myself. So, you know, what 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 price is that? It's so important for your journey to kind of, as we settle in, I mean, I feel like we're young and old at the same time, right? Like we met when we were like 18. It's been 10 years, but... Literally like 10 years. I still feel, you know, very young in a lot of ways. And it resonates with me that like, I obviously have always known I was black, but I think it's really taken maybe not COVID, but like the past couple of years to be like, okay, like this is my experience as I surround myself with other black people. Because right. I think the community, a lot of things feel normal when you spend time with the community. So like, you know, you being able to tell me or like I shared with you that like working at my current job is the first time I had a group of black friends. And like I've shared okay, a group of black people who work in tech, like we, a lot of us have the same experience. We grew up in a white suburb. You know, we went to a predominantly white college. Like we were one of few black people in our group. Like we, a lot of us have the same story. Not all of us, but a lot of us. And to me, I'm like, okay, that was so helpful. Cause I just didn't feel normal. I mean, probably like how you didn't either. Exactly. I mean, I didn't even have, I always had this, like, I was very angry kind of growing up and I didn't really have 
the know-how or the reasoning or knowing why, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, why, why do I hate my life? But not in the like very dramatic kind of way, but kind of just like that, like super angsty, like teen way. And it's like, I didn't know why. (laughs) Now I know why retroactively, but getting back to craving a community I've, and since I've woken up, it's like, I get what I've been wanting online through social media, through TikTok or whatever. And then it's weird because I put down my phone and I look up and I walk outside and I hang out with my friends and it's kind of like pulls me back into this like white space. I'm like having the best time online, seeing like other, other people that look like me on the internet. And then I walk outside my door and I see no one that looks like me. It is definitely something that I'm just craving more and more is I just want diversity in my friend group. Not to say that like, you know, I have gay friends and things like that, but like I don't, and I do have friends that are like Asian and things like that, but I still really don't have black friends that I hang out with or chill with or do anything with. Literally like you (laughs) and you know, we live in different cities. And then I have another friend that we met in college Phil, who you know too, and that's about it. And he lives in San Diego. So like I have these like little tiny pockets of that community, but like it's not, it's not enough. I want more. I need more. I need it in my life. I need it in my job and I need it in my friends. Like it's just something that I've just realized like hard and fast rule. Like I need more. I'll just say like, making I like to derail that I I think that making them comes with some intention and also just being in spaces where there are more black people because I told you this when we saw each other recently like moving to New York I did not instantly have black friends in fact some of the insecurity you feel now is just not being around that many black people so I think for me like I didn't know how to find them I didn't (laughs) know like you know it was it's a very it's very weird but it's true Like if my, most of my environment was white, I had a few black friends in high school, but we ended up doing different things. Like I don't, we didn't chill all the time. I had maybe like one consistent black friend in high school and we don't really talk post-grad, maybe like liking an Instagram photo or something. Didn't meet a lot of people in college who are black. I mean, I also joined a whole white sorority one day we'll do an episode on that. Are these black sororities at Kent? Yeah, like black sororities. People don't believe me because like just to have a sidebar, someone fully pulled up on me once and was like, you were a Kai Omega. Like <laughs> my mother would never let me do this. Like a black woman said that to me and I was like, okay, well, my mom doesn't control my life. And like I just don't, what is your comment about? I think she was a Delta or something, which like no disrespect, but like mind your business. Like I'm not coming up to you being like, I could never be a Delta. Like. I have nothing to say. Like, if anything, I'm almost jealous of the exper- of the experience they're having post-grad because I don't regret Kayo. I had a blast. But, like, I mean, I see these people, they're hanging out forever. They're, like, 65 being, like... Right. And not on some, like, rah, 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 we're at a tailgate getting drunk, but, like, in each other's weddings, with each other's kids, like, genuinely liking each other. And yeah. not that I don't have that in Kayo, but, like, we don't have a lot in common, like some of these people post-grad. We didn't have a lot of common then. I think in some ways I'm envious, but I'm not going to let you trash my experience. But I think going back to the point, it's it's hard because there's just like an insecurity. Just what you said, you're like, do you feel like you're overcompensating? Like, I know I'm black. I know I like black things. I grew up in a black household, but it's like, so. Like, I have every right to be there. It just doesn't feel right sometimes to be there. Yeah. But with practice, it will for you and... Well, because I had no one to like gently lead me into the black American experience. My dad, who is the genetic part of my blackness, is an immigrant. You know, he's straight off the boat. He's coming to America. Like literally, he's not going to know. I mean, he knows American history because they teach that. So, you know, he knows he knows what happened here. But like he doesn't know like black culture, black American culture. Has he assimilated at all? Like, do you, does your dad have, like, music or shows or anything from America that he kind of cl- he was clinging on to? I recently was talking to him, and he told me that I did know that he loved soap operas in college, which is hilarious to think about because, like, what? And he also really liked the Golden Girls. Oh, I love the Golden Girls. Favorite shows. And I've never honestly seen it. 
I think that that's really funny. But the only, I mean, assimilation, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's a funny question that you asked me. And, like, I, I've never really, I mean, I've thought about it. But, like, to say that there's things that he does that are Americanized, like, not really. <laughs> I don't know. No. We grew up listening to... Spanish music, African music, obviously, but he loves like Latin music and French music, different ethnic things, really. I mean, I will, okay, his favorite song is Yeah by uh, Usher. He loves that. <laughs> Iconic. Loves that song. But yeah, I mean, he's still very much in the things that he does and things that he likes to do. Not really. I don't know. Like, he likes to watch soccer. He still does that. Yeah, he likes to bike now. He started doing that. But we used to go, actually, this is funny. I mean, not funny. It's it's cool. When I was younger, there was, like, a Cameroonian association, and we would go to parties when I was younger. Oh, that's cool. And, and it was really cool, and we were, like, super young, and they'd always go so late. Like, I remember literally my parents carrying us out you know, because we're asleep and we're there until three in the morning and we're eating African food. But me and Daniel are so like picky that all we would eat were like the chicken and then beignets. But like the beignets are not quite the beignets that are like Cafe du Monde beignets. They're like a little different. But yeah, all we would do we eat these little beignets and chicken and that's it. We wouldn't eat like any of anything else. And I wish I could even name anything, any of the dishes. I can't. So that's something that I've really wanted to spend more time with my dad and like ask him questions and like learn about the culture and basic stuff. But it's just, unfortunately, you kind of forget that your parents have lives sometimes <laughs> because you're their life. He was always working really hard. So like he wasn't always around. He worked a lot. He had two jobs so that we could live in UA. You know, my mom worked too. So he worked for the Legislative Service Commission and he worked for H&R Block. So he was not really he's busy yeah he's busy and any free time he had he was like i'm watching soccer like and he's probably trying to survive on his own like i'd be curious to hear his story because being so far away from home obviously he had this opportunity to go to ohio state he was clearly very smart yeah and it's like i'm just trying to make my life work over here with my kids like i can't maybe he didn't feel like he had the space right to be sad or like have regrets about you guys not being as close because it's like the reality is yeah it's expensive to fly my whole family to Cameroon are they going to be uncomfortable they're not really immersed in this but I'm really busy I don't have time to immerse them and honestly like my wife's family's here and that's almost easier I think sometimes it becomes about what's easier definitely for sure we spoke a little bit earlier about the people who you went to school with, and you're like, they're thin, they're blonde, they're white. Don't forget about Rich. That is Oh, Rich. Rich is a big, a big, a big star. When it comes to um, just like being different, when it comes to your body, when it comes to your hair, when it comes to your features as a black person, how did that play a role? I think that is something that we don't talk about a lot. We don't talk about as adolescents, yeah. like beauty standards like I Mm -hmm. how did you feel about yourself growing up and and how you looked and and how did you feel in your identity not good (laughs) there were certain things that again I'm different and so like growing up beauty standards are basically they're I mean they're rooted in racism right we know that now and so for that not really to be something that I knew I'm gonna like I put my fatness in front of my blackness. Like I thought boys didn't like me because I was chubby. I was like, that's why. Because again, raised in a colorblind household. My friends like me. Why are boys not liking me? Why is no one talking to me? Why are people almost fetishizing me in a way, but no one's like, no one's trying to date me. No one's trying to be my boyfriend. That's unfortunately like as a girl, gender norms, it's like, you, get a, you want to find a boyfriend, you want to have a man and those things and not seeing myself hitting these milestones that my friends are making and not even all my friends, but like everyone in school and whatever. Growing up, I obviously was chubby, whatever, but I was athletic. I had the bench press record in my high school for our weight room. Like, I don't know. And so I think that I've really had to look at how I felt about myself and be like, Michelle, you realize that you were comparing yourself 
to the white Eurocentric standard of beauty. And that's just literally never going to be me. That's not going to be me. That's not going to be my body type. That never was. Knowing that now, I just, you know, you kind of have to grieve your child, your your younger self a little bit because it's like you didn't realize those things and you just like hated yourself for no reason because you didn't look like any of the people that you saw in your favorite shows, right? Like high school, my favorite show was One Tree Hill. You know this. Yeah. You know how dramatic I was when the show ended freshman year. Like I was bawling, crying. Like had my nails painted OTH, wearing my One Tree Hill t-shirt. Like obsessed. Depressed, yes, obsessed. Literally drove down to see them film it, whole thing. Right, my favorite show. There is one episode, one episode really early on, and it was a non sequitur. It was the most, honestly, quite bizarre episode, really, where one of the main characters goes to some town and he plays basketball with this black girl. And that's the only black character, black female character they had, right? Which comes down to when you think about like black women, versus just like when you think about black people and like racism, black men I think are afforded kind of more access to that world because of what, sports, right? Sports, musicians, those types of things. So you're seeing more black men in shows. There's, you know, obviously it's usually like a token, but still, it's still black men. And you think, oh, there's a black guy in this show or whatever. And you think that that's enough, but truly like, Black women are not in a lot of things. At least they weren't in the early 2000s, you know? So I think that that's something that I didn't really realize as well, is that, like, I'm not seeing myself represented because Black women are just not in my space at all. That's the thing is, like, see, again, Black men on TV doing whatnot, but I think that seeing a space for black women is what's really important. And I think that that's unfortunately something that I missed out on and seeing other black women's bodies and like seeing like, you know, they have a huge butt like I do. It's weird because I would know that like I had developed quite early. I had a large chest and a big butt. So like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, what's the disconnect here, right? Like I got big boobs and a fat ass like why does no one like me <laughs> like I thought that would be enough <laughs> but you know <laughs> that wasn't the white beauty standard and I didn't really realize that offhand you know what I mean like so <laughs> it's just kind of funny it's kind of funny because that's totally a beauty standard now like like now it's now it's hot in the streets like people are getting bbls like I have white women be like, yeah, right. I'm trying to have an ass. And it's like, okay, well, literally I was born with this, but like, cool, cool story, bro. Um, <laughs> I think that it, that kind of grinds my gears though. I try not to be mad, but like, cause still even the, it's like right. the Eurocentric black body, if that makes sense. Like it's still not our natural bodies. It's like black inspired. So you should be like Eurocentric in the sense that like, you still have pretty straight hair, and if you don't have straight hair, it's wavy, it's long, right. you're tall, you're slender everywhere but, like, your butt or your chest. Like, everywhere else, like, you should not have a stomach, you don't have big thighs, you just show up with, like, <laughs> a butt and some boobs, and we're like, cool. It's so funny because when you're in a white environment, that's what everyone looks like. Like, right. being around other black people will normalize it, and being around other people of color. Exactly. Because you just see all the different body types and like I also find we have to do an episode one day on like fat phobia because that's a whole nother thing but like it's interesting to hear white women talk about beauty and it made me it made it worse for me to be honest like and I don't think this is everyone but this was like in its totality how I feel still to this day like there are things about eating there are things about how close oh fit my god like, girl are you kidding me like literally saying silent so many times like you know, with friends and they're literally like, oh my God, I'm so fat. And I'm literally like, okay, we have eyes. We can see. Like, you know what volume space takes up. Like, I'm bigger than you and you're saying this to me. And like, why? I also feel like people call black women cute a lot of the time or like, like they're not like saying that they're beautiful or they're hot. Like it was like, oh, like Michelle's cute. And you're like, 
Mm. I don't love that either. Or like another thing that's kind of started to like irk me is when people tell me how confident I am. And I'm like, all I'm hearing is you think that I shouldn't be. You think that I shouldn't love myself. Like, oh my God, like, like I could never pull that off. Or like, I, you just wear it so well. And I'm like, thank you for the backhanded compliment. Okay. Yeah. We have to do an episode on that. I think there's so much there that's right. like relevant to this conversation, but also it's like a conversation on its own. Like there's a whole fat phobia, European beauty standards, like uncomfortable conversation to be had. I also want to ask you, like you have a, you have a brother. So my sister's experience is very different than mine in school and like how she interprets all this. So I'm curious, like what, what discussions have you had with your brother? And do you guys talk about this? Does he come to similar conclusions? We are like not super, super close. Like we both live in Columbus, but I think just being so close in age that like growing up, we were always trying to like separate ourselves kind of like at least him from me. Cause he was again, popular. So like, again, cashing in that like black athlete card and that didn't quite have the same currency that I had. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a varsity athlete. Why am I not popular? Like, I'm winning conferences, but okay, you know. And so I think that obviously his experience was very different than mine. He was popular. I was middle tier, we'll say. We, we've, I've tried to talk to him a little bit about this. He doesn't really seem to have the same conclusions that I do. And I wonder sometimes if that's because he walks through the world as a man. There's also that like gender, the gender of it all, you know? And so I think that we definitely see things through different lenses. And he went to Miami, which is a predominantly white, you know, very white school, just like we call it Upper Arlington, UAU. We call it like everyone goes there. So he just had his, he made new friends, but he kept his friends and it was basically just like an extended amount of high school, which is what we also kind of equate or what you have said about like Kent State for you. And, you know, when you said that, I'm like, huh, yeah, you're right. I kind of just did exactly what I did in high school. And, you know, I love the friends that I made in college. But back to my brother, I mean, I think that because he was a man, is a man, we see things a little bit differently, and I feel maybe a little more um, bitter when I think of our, you know, younger selves. Or how he got to move to the through the world. Exactly, exactly. You know, so that's definitely, you know, I want to have more conversations like that, but it's just, we're just also very different people, you know. And it can be hard to admit, like, I think... Yeah. Coming to these conclusions isn't always fun, right? Like, even if you have right. some internalized experiences, I think it's hard for people to speak on them, even if he's someone, especially if he's someone who's perceived to be popular, because it's like, well, what are you complaining about? Like, it was fine for you. Right. So I think sometimes it's hard because, but Probably. it's also like, I'd be curious, like, what did you give up What I to be in that group? Or like, what did you let slide? But then it's also, he's going to football camps. So yeah. he's meeting other black dudes, yeah. you know? And he's kind of getting that kind of camaraderie. And there were like, I mean, there were a handful of black people in our school. He played football with them. They weren't like friends, but I think that that's something. He had a big community. Like football was his life for like so long. And I think that that probably gave him a sense of comfort and to know that like he could thrive that way. So, I mean, he felt kind of protected. Yeah, that makes sense. No, who knows what I was doing? I was just, you know, I was in the musicals. I was, you know, I was just trying to, trying to get through it. But just trying to survive. I mean, it's there's an aspect of survival. Like there are times where you feel like you're thriving, but it's like I don't know. I would I would equate high school and college to a lot of survival. Yeah, definitely. And just not trying not to say the wrong things. I mean, even in our dorm, even now I think about like our freshman year and stuff that I like had to balance and like not over index on. I'm like, I don't want, I'm not saying what I really want to say in this situation, but like <laughs> right, I right. have things to say about the situation. Right. Cause when you're surrounded by, you know, white people, they're going to think that you're dramatic. They're going to think that you're sensitive. You're playing the race card, but like, yeah, here's my card. Like, yeah, this Hello. is insensitive and weird. Please stop doing it. Yeah, right. 
And so I think that that's also something that, you know, is really important to like think about is like, if you have black friends, because I know my friends are going to listen to this, you know, I, you know, if you have black people in your life, you have to like, be an ally, right? And you've talked about what that means on this show. And I think that a lot of people think, think different things when it comes to, again, what wokeness or like whatever it is. And it's like, well, I know her and she's this and that and we're best friends or we're this and we're that. But it's like, when I'm in a group of people and people are still singing the N-word around me, like literally last summer, not okay. But, you know, you don't want to be, at least for me for a long time, I didn't want to be branded, well, I already was (laughs) branded as like loud and like kind of obnoxious or like, annoying to probably some of my friends' boyfriends, you know what I mean, these white men that I'm around, because in all honesty, I don't have my own group of like white male friends. Like, I mean, they're my friends now, but they're, they were my girlfriend's boyfriends, (laughs) you know what I mean? So they thought whatever of me. And so when they're doing these things, it's like, what, what do I decide to say? Because Again, I want friends. I don't want to ruin relationships. But then it's it's like, Michelle, do you want these relationships? Why do you want these relationships? Why aren't you cutting these people out of your life? If it's going to harm me, like, you know what I mean? Like, boy, bye. Like, we're done. We're done with this. I don't need to come. I don't want to see you. Like, I'm not talking to you. We're done with this. Like, I mean, it's hard. When we spent more than half of our lives, like the majority of our lives, And I would say even it's magnified in some ways for you just because like you're straddling two identities. Like I can only speak from like someone who has two black parents. I thought it was hard. I can only imagine what it's like to be like, I'm not really in touch with my black identity. Like when I go home, my parents had pretty black experiences. They grew up around their family. My dad went to all black, all boys private school. His friends from college are all black. He went to a PWI and he still doesn't have white friends from college. My mom went to an HBCU. She does not have any white friends from college. So, like, their experience is, like, very black. But, like, my experience is not. So, I mean, if I'm feeling it, I can only imagine, you know, there are moments where you're like, yo, what's going on? Because I think, (laughs) like, the foundation, what I keep going back to is, like, I have this foundation of blackness somewhere. The music my parents played, the movies. Like, I remember my mom watching Girlfriends on TV. So, like... Uh. When Girlfriends came on Netflix, you better believe I watched every single episode. Because my mom, I watched that with her sometimes growing up. Like, my mom played, like, I don't know, Lauryn Hill, which was, like, the most popular album at the time. Like, she would play it all the time. Like, I just, I grew up around the things. I just didn't feel like I could talk about them. Right. So I can't, I had no one to talk about them with. Right. And I didn't know the things. (laughs) Right. And so I feel like. You're a step further where you're like, yo, I don't even know the thing. Like, I know I'm black, but I'm like on TikTok. Like, well, what do they mean by that? Literally, <laughs> literally. Like, I mean, I am just now comfortable, not even always comfortable. And this comes to like code switching, but like singing the N word in songs. Like, I literally have to be like, no, 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 you can say it. Like, it's okay. Like, because obviously growing up, the only term or the only frame that I heard it was, was awfully derogatory you know what i mean like i'm not hearing people use it colloquially or like how women call each other bitch now you know what i mean like you know what i mean so like i'm like no you can say it if you want to i only say it when i'm alone you know it's funny like and even then sometimes i don't say it because i spent so much time not saying it and i think that goes back to like I mean, it's a generalization, but I feel like it's true. We agree on it. Like, black men just having a different experience. My right. black guy friends, even in really white environments, said the N-word. Might have said the N-word in front of a white friend and been like, well, but you don't say it. Like, right. they just had a completely different vibe going on there. I'm like, if right. I dropped the N-word in this group of my very white friends, they would be like, what are you – what's happening right now? Like, right. are you good? <laughs> and I, I think – I mean, it's, it's, I'm 28 and I'm still having conversations with friends where it's like, maybe you shouldn't say that. It was inappropriate that you did this. Right. I mean, you want to talk about inappropriate, you know, what people called me in high school and what I called myself and what I introduced myself as in college, because I was like, obviously having an identity crisis. Um, You know, I had my Facebook name because 
you talked about this. You want to like kind of sometimes again survival, but like lean into the joke, right? You yeah. want to you want to be in on the joke. So I literally let people call me Mama Niggs, which is horrifying now to know all of the things about like the mammy stereotype and the tropes and all of that. And I literally let that was my Facebook name, Michelle Mama Niggs Bodemonio. Like I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's, uh, it's cringy. You're, you're like literally shuddering right now because it's disgusting. It is, but I think also, Michelle, I, I said this to you when we saw each other last weekend, like I have empathy and I think, I think you're realizing all the right things, but I think you're tough on yourself because I, I told you like, I came home and told my parents things and my dad or my mom would be like, oh, absolutely not. Like I would, because, because of my environment, I had normalized some really terrible behavior that I think still holds true of people just like, we can blame their ignorance of not spending a lot of time with black people, but I'm pretty sure that I get white culture pretty frankly and know what to say and what not to say. So I hope you guys read a book and listen (laughs) because I don't say Google is right. I'm not going around saying like very inappropriate things to white people. There are slurs for white people and I don't use them. So I hope that white people can get hit but anyway like I would come home and say like oh a tennis practice so-and-so said xyz and like not trying to rile my parents up just talking about my day and my dad's like oh hell no like no like we're I am calling your tennis coach now and I'm like silently being like well I don't really want you to do that because I like play tennis with these people but now that I'm older I'm like thank god right that like I had those moments of reckoning of like what is wrong with these people? Right. But it goes back to wanting to fit in. Like, I'm mad at my parents because I'm like, I just want it to be chill. I'm already so different. Can we yeah. just, like, can we right. just keep it cute? Like, I don't need any more drama. But I think it's interesting because your dad probably didn't know some of these things were happening and or, like, he didn't grow up in America. He's like, I don't know. No. I don't know what's going on. Right. When I'm talking about my day, like, day to day, I'm talking to my mom. So, like, the tiny microaggressions that I and my brother faced all the all the time you don't sound white you don't or i do sound white like quote with air quotes like you don't sound black you don't act black all these you're an oreo and like i used to like take those as compliments as you know like again delusional whatever but no one was telling me like "Mm, no that's not great like maybe like not listen to that or be friends with those people like you know what I mean so I'm kind of you know envious that you kind of had that a little bit a little bit more backup you know obviously like the like really awful things you know I, that w- I had that support but like the little or microaggressions things, right the microaggressions that until literally like reading things and wanting to know like okay, was I dramatic or was this actually a problem? <laughs> like, and it's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, there's a lot there. Like, it is. And microaggressions are death by, death by a million cuts. Like, as we say, I mean, I experience microaggressions still. I mean, corporate America right. is one oh. giant microaggression. So, like, after I saw you, I went to a party and, you know, it was, I was the only person of color there. That wasn't a worker, which seems to be happening a lot, which has always happened a lot. But now I realize it, you know what I mean? Which is something that's so interesting is like, I almost wish I could let go of in a way because I'm just like, oh, only the caterers. Oh, only the servers. Like, you know what I mean? And it's kind of just like, it is what it is. But anyway, I was at this party and I met this woman and she was like super sweet. She was in her like 40s or whatever. And it was a party, right? I'm drinking. Like, I'm with my friends, whatever. You're just so smart. You are just so smart. Rubbing my arm, just like, just basically get get outing me. Like, oh, you are just so smart. You are with it. And I was like, this is the first time in, in real time that I was like, oh, my God, it's happening right now. This is, this is happening. This is it. This is it. Like... <laughs> you see it now. And it was just like, 
so bizarre. I was just like, you've met me for two seconds. I'm drunk right now, actually. And we haven't been talking about anything. Like, <laughs> like, how do you know I'm smart? Like, what, what is the indicator? Literally. I've literally never had anyone, well, that's not true, call me smart. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, funny, sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but you're like, <laughs> based on what? Literally. Um, I have, like, a parting question for you. If mm-hmm. you were to raise your own biracial child, what would you change about their upbringing? Because I think there's, like, there's this... You can marry whoever you want to marry. Like you don't have to marry another black person. You might marry a white guy. Like, how would you shift how you grew up and support your child if they too were biracial? Um, I think just you know, obviously, like trying to make friends with you know other black people or things like that. You know, I think that that's kind of the biggest thing. Is you know, I've actually read a lot about like transracial adoption mm-hmm. and they feel like you know like the steps that they should take and things like that and it's like I would do those things I would read those books I would you know make sure that my child felt represented in the world and you know see themselves in that way and you know in a, in a positive way that's regardless of you know obviously the way that society had had sh- shaped the world so I find it really interesting, like transracial adoption. I almost sometimes feel like I was a transracial, you know, obviously my parents are my biological parents, but I sometimes think that way in a way. I'm like, okay, my parents didn't really know what they were doing. You know, my dad's in a whole new country and he's working really hard. And and then we have my mom. So, you know, I just think that I would really really read a lot and just try and think of the psychology of, you know, what it means to raise your kid in a white space um, when they're not that. Yeah, you also bring up a really good point with this transracial adoption of just kind of like addressing both sides. Like I think, and having kids, because I think another consistency here is like, no matter your race, like the way that America's moving, a lot of parents are having experiences that are different than yeah. their kids. Right. So I think, like, we have to address that as a, as a society. Like, I think our generation, like, millennials are like, okay. And maybe, let me, it's a generalization because, honestly, there are plenty of people in my town who grew up just like their parents grew up. And, like, right. their kids will stay in the town and go to the high school and all the things. Right. But there also are a lot of us who are having very starkly different experiences than our parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that must be, like, that must be brought up. Because there are right. so many parents who are trying to, like, mold their kids into what they did from a sense of comfort and I will say like that's the grace I give my parents and and something I think they did well is like my mom and dad know like I didn't grow up like them I think in times it was like very there's like some friction there of like yeah I don't I don't know to give you like a a side (laughs) note like my parents are very like family centric and not just like the four of us it's like extended family like they're very into them so they'll call their extended family and like go spend time with them and stay at their houses and all that stuff I didn't grow up around my big extended family so it's not to say that I don't love them but like my dad has a lot of first cousins and I'm telling you like I can't name every single one like I just (laughs) like he has a big family and my mom has so many people who are important to her and her family I didn't grow up that way there's some friction there of like me just like I kind of do what I want and I'm not always concerned with family events I'm like I don't know if I want to go to that I don't really talk to those people I feel the same. Yeah. And I think that's irritating to them because they grew up in this very like family centric way. Also in a time where you needed your family. Well, that's what I, that's what I think is really fascinating is like how big family is to the black community. Cause when you have to think about it in the scope of the world, that's where they were safe. Right. Other people that they knew. Right. That's where they felt safe. They couldn't just go out and make friends, you know, back in the day with out risk of, (laughs) Who knows what? Like you know racism, what I mean? like and yeah. all, all kinds of or all worse, kinds of like safety. Harm. Yeah, safety, literally. Yeah, so the community is actually a really big part of being black. And it's funny that you say this. I was with a friend recently, and um, she and her boyfriend are African. And she's like, when you talk about your parents, there's so much similarity to like the village. She's like, sometimes when you talk, I feel like you grew up with African parents because like <laughs> the, the village is so important to black people, but like. As someone who didn't grow up with the village, both of us, yeah, I feel very disconnected. So I think that was the biggest like friction in our um, – and still, honestly, to be honest, I'd say that's like one of the big points of friction is like 
I don't really care as much as they care. And not to say I don't love them, but I don't have the deep rooted like, or just the desire to be there. So I think that's really interesting, but it's, it's, I like your answer because it's kind of like, there's something there. Like when you yank people out of community and you force the community on them of what you want as a parent, because that happens a lot with those adoptions of like, I am, I brought you over from here and like, your culture is now done and you do what we do in this house. And I'm like, people are people like erasure is real. You can't like erase people's culture. It becomes apparent. It's also innate. It comes back to you. I mean, I think that just trying to let your kids live their own lives is like the biggest thing and make their own mistakes and figure out what they want or who they are rather than trying to like fit them into this narrow frame that you have of what you did and what, how your life went and how you experienced the world. Like it's going to be different, right? Like times change as we know, like our kids are going to grow up with iPads in their hands or whatever, or something, a chip, who knows, like whatever. So I think that that's really something that's important if I have kids or who knows what to like, really just let them be themselves and really just, let them figure it out on their own and support them any way that you can, but it's going to be different. And that's important and different always. It, that's the thing. People are scared of different. People are inherently scared of different. And so it, I think it's a lot of work to like, let that happen. Yeah, it is it, because you as a parent have to fight. Like, I mean, we aren't parents yet, but I can only imagine <laughs> if you gave birth to someone, you're like, I want them to be their mine. Right. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I created them. I pushed them out. Like, they are mine. But something my mom keeps saying to me, especially in adulthood, she's like, I caught on very early to, like, my kids weren't mine. Like, you, like, I had you for 18 years. I could give you a good foundation and and guide you. But she's like, you kind of did, you and your sister both kind of do what you want. Like, I mean, and I think that's an amazing realization as a parent to have because a lot of people's parents are fighting against that current. and right. Like what you said, your kids are going to do what they want to do. <laughs> like you can either get out of the way or no. Yeah. And as to your point of like your kids are yours, like I do sometimes, you know, I, I should give my mom more credit. Like it was probably really hard for her, for her kids to not look like her. Yeah. You know, right for off her the to bat. be the only white person in her family. Right. Exactly. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I feel the way that I feel, but probably really hard for her. And I, you know, I. I'm learning to forgive, you know, certain, certain aspects of that. Yeah. And I think like, and unfortunately, like what we have to realize about our parents is like, they did the best they could with what they yep. had. Like That's even my criticism of my parents putting me in like this overly white environment, I'm like, no, you wanted me to have the best education you could afford. It wasn't, <laughs> let's put our children in this weird, awkward spot. I don't even and think they what happens. Like... Right. Exactly. They're like, <laughs> we didn't think about it. We wanted you to go to a good school. We didn't think about what would happen next. And so yeah. Your mom, I'm sure, did the best she could with what she had, but now yeah. you guys can have these conversations like that are maybe a little uncomfortable, but can make it better for next next generation, right. and future generations. And I, I also think that a, another contrast between like your parents and my, my, at least my mom, but my parents is your parents are a little bit younger. Yeah, my mom is quite old. <laughs> like, love you, but you were born <laughs> in the '50s, ma'am. Like. You are the same age as some of my friend's grandparents. You know what I mean? And she had kids later in life. And so, you know, the way that I, you know, she was, she's a boomer, like, you know, and she's raising me now and or raised me in the early 2000s and 90s. So, you know, I think that that's something that's also like a big factor is like, it's not like she was like 30, 25, 30, like she was literally like 40, like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's a bigger age gap between you and your parents. It's a huge age gap. You know, so when she talks about her college experience at OSU, I'm like, that was four decades ago. Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) literally. I I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Like, I, what you were doing when you were my age and what I'm doing now is a big span of time. Like, Right. right. It's a lot of differences. Like, a lot of differences for someone who's, like, so close to you. You have a very very different experience worldview and you know worldview it's just it's just yeah yeah so it it is I'm very grateful for how progressive she is you know she went out and canvassed for you know democratic nominees and she's stood out and done a lot of things that are really great like politically and 
when it comes down to it, brass tacks as far as like women's body image issues and things like that. Like you grew up in the fifties, like right, very like typical standard of beauty. Like you should yeah. be thin, you should look yeah. like this. Like you know, you see those crazy fifties diets and sixties diets, and you're like, an egg and a bottle of wine. What is that? Like I, I have to give her a lot of grace and a lot of credit because I did turn out pretty pretty great. You know. You so. did turn out pretty great and you're still learning. And I right. think there's like so much more to experience. Like exactly. we're both still learning. I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what else happens and like what conversations you continue to have with her. And yeah, maybe one day your brother and dad will jump on board and you guys can have like a whole fam chat. <laughs> <laughs> whole fam we can dream. We can dream. Exactly. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast, Michelle, and, and sharing all of this and being vulnerable. I appreciate it. I was, I'm so happy to have these conversations with you and I, you know, I just admire you so much and you're so smart, not in a, because I know you in a way, I know you, you're so smart and you know, I really look up to you and and yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.